podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show College Days. Ben Isaacs, a.k.a. Benny from the Block. Are we, are, we, are we allowed to go there? Are we going, Benny, from the block? Is it, I don't know. Well, I've, I've been called worse. Yeah. Um, I've been called similar. Like when Carlitos Way was new, um, the character Benny Blanco from the Bronx, what I used to, get, used to get that a lot. But, you know, that's, that's not that uncomplimentary, you know? It's, it's not a bad one. Benny, Benny Blanco from the Bronx, a, a great film, Carlitos Way, which I must revisit. I haven't seen it for a good few years. Ollie, our producer, of course, guaranteed to never seen it because it was made before 2018 yep. <laughs> ancient history for him we need to put that on all these educational lists in fact it's got me thinking that is a great film we need to do some off-season pop culture specials ben isaacs we need to take care of that and that can be on that you know because i was thinking this the other day so many we've done sporting movies in the past of course at vernon k if you dig deep into our vault we did a fun show with vernon about a year ago i think on that very subject and we just scratched the surface and it made me realize there are so many things we could do and you know what i think we could just deviate totally away from sports as well and just talk about films music bands artists tv shows that we like it doesn't even need to be yes. sporting related yeah absolutely well i mean you know we can even we can have some sort of uh some sort of draft system oh, there to even tie it into the draft that if you had to put together your kind of ultimate film playlist and we'd we'd have the draft so it's you know, you'd have to play it tactically of there might be a film that you think is a little bit obscure that other people won't think of you might want to leave that to the fifth round and then that's where you pick up your gems i love this i also want some kind of draft mechanic with tv stars or characters of the last uh, let's go 30 years we're doing perfect. one yeah perfect. I, want it, I want tony soprano versus toby ziegler <laughs> who's going to go first overall yeah. speaking of first overall because much as i love to get into that that we'll wait for the off season for all that we're gonna we're gonna preview the super bowl continue our preview to the super bowl we bet in the house and this is officially a college days production today we figured well let's give it a slightly different perspective look at some of the key protagonists some of the names of course that are going to be instrumental on Sunday night, but look at it from a slightly different angle. And, and speaking of drafts and number one overall picks, of course, one of the fascinating narratives going in with Burrow and Stafford going head to head is, of course, they are two number one overall picks going head to head at different stages of their career. Burrow's just getting started, and uh, Stafford has uh, been around the block beat around the journey from the block just a few, <laughs> uh, a few times but both of them making their super bowl debut so let's start there ben their respective paths to the number one overall pick so their, their college careers which again were, were markedly different of course and different sample sizes obviously but how things have played out in comparison similarities and, and contrast for them as as number one overall picks in the nfl um you know what's interesting is I think if you were to look at, so to me, it's weird that this is only the second time a Super Bowl is going to be played with two first overall picks as the two starting quarterbacks. And the first time it was Cam against Peyton Manning. And you had had Cam who sort of came out of nowhere, had one of the great seasons and then was gone to the NFL. Yeah. Um, won uh, Won the Heisman Trophy, whereas Peyton Manning was just an incredibly consistent player in in the college levels but he didn't win a national championship he didn't win a heisman but he was always kind of like one of one of the top players through a long college career 
and you've got something a bit similar here. So let's start with Stafford, who in in this example is our is our Peyton Manning. So Stafford in the in the 2006 recruiting class out of high school, he was considered the top quarterback in the nation and the sixth best player overall. You imagine how good you've got to be that in high school they're like that guy is the best of any high school quarterback. He is the guy that everyone would want. He was a star mm. from the get-go and he won a Texas State Championship. Mel Kuyper famously predicted Stafford would be a number one overall pick in the draft before he ever started a college game. So, you Do you reckon that- he was more in high school, more Jason Street or uh, who's the cocky guy that comes in and takes uh, Matt Saracen's job? Oh yeah, oh no, he. I, I reckon he was definitely, definitely a street. Definitely Definitely street. a street, yeah. Um, so loads of the top teams wanted him. He chose Georgia and he became, he became a starter as a true freshman. It wasn't really the plan. Um, but he did. Now, a true freshman, I'm going to use a little bit of jargon here. So um, a freshman, obviously, it's your first season or first year in college. A true freshman means it is literally your first year at the college. You can also be a redshirt freshman. If you're a redshirt freshman, it's not your first year at the university, but it's your first year playing. It, if you are redshirting, you can train with the team, you eat with the team, you travel with the team, but you don't play. And it means you don't lose a year of eligibility. And they like to do that with the quarterback so they can learn. Mm. But it was felt that with, with Matt Stafford, he, he wasn't going to learn anything else. We just got to, we got to get him out there because he's fantastic. And they were just confident in his ability. And Georgia hadn't had a player start at quarterback straight out of high school since 1991. So that's, that's how big a deal he was from day one. And like the coaches said that having Stafford on the team made their life easier in terms of recruiting players. People wanted to be like, I want to play with that guy. He was a big deal. And he just seemed to get better every season. And at no point did he have a run that made people think he wouldn't go first overall. The, the, the knock on him, if anything, was that he couldn't win the big game. But in those big games that Georgia lost, it wasn't that like he would make a back-breaking interception or something. It was just that they would get outplayed. Georgia would not one of the top five best teams at that time. They just happened to have the best quarterback. Mm. Um, some people felt he was a little bit erratic at the time, which I think is a little is a little bit harsh. Um, I don't think, you know, from everything that I saw, I don't think he was forcing a lot of passes. And then one thing I was, I went back and like read a lot of kind of scouting reports from the, uh, from the time. And there were some people saying, oh, I think he should stay another season at Georgia to hone his craft. The guy had been starting for three seasons. Mm. Like that is rare now. The idea that people are saying, oh, he should, he should stay for a fourth. I mean, it's pretty much unheard of. And we're only talking about a player who started in college in, in 06. So I, I feel that the, the losing the big games thing, that, that bothered me that people were using that as a criticism. Because when you go back and look at those games, there were kind of defensive miscues and all this stuff. And to, I think sometimes when a guy is the number one overall and is clearly the number one overall, people are just looking for any sort of problems. Mm. So he got drafted in 09. And I thought, I've got to really go through that 09 draft. Looking at it right now. Yeah. So, yeah so, let's look at the other quarterbacks in the well, first yeah, round. This, I mean, this is it. Like the, Mark Sanchez had the second best career out of all the quarterbacks drafted in terms of playing quarterback. He had the second best career. So he went um, fifth. Uh, he went fifth overall yeah. to the Jets. Obviously, he was a yeah. USC quarterback. Josh Freeman went to the Bucks at seventeen, and no one else did anything apart. Now, if you now 
Now, I know you've got the information in front of you. Yeah. I'm going to try and test you on something in case you've not seen it. <laughs> okay. None of those quarterbacks drafted did anything apart from the quarterback taken in the seventh round. Right. 232nd overall, and he was a Super Bowl MVP. Can you I, name him? Okay, so I haven't gone down to the seventh round. 2009, he was a Super Bowl MVP. Was it Joe? No, it can't be. No, no. I'm going to put you out of your misery. Was Flacco a first rounder? Um, I think Flacco was a first rounder, although he didn't play at the top level of... Was it a quarter, Was it a quarterback, you're saying, was the Super Bowl MVP? He was player? drafted as a quarterback. Uh, um, it was Julian Edelman. Edelman, of course it was Edelman. He was a seventh round quarterback. Was he drafted as a quarterback, Edelman? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My God. I mean, I knew I mean, he was a quarterback in his younger days. I think was drafted as one. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that whoever was drafting him was never thinking that he was going to be um, that he was going to be uh, a quarterback there. But mm. that's that was officially that was officially it for him. Um, and I've just checked. Joe Flacco did go in the first round. He was number yeah. 18 out of yeah. Delaware. I, lo- I love the fact I think Flacco could have been a seventh round. <laughs> well, uh, well <laughs> to be fair, and I'll get uh, right. We can we can circle back to it. But the thing is, mm. is that Joe Flacco didn't play at the top level of college football. So automatically, yeah, the sure. stock is going to fall now. So Stafford was a golden boy the entire time. Now, Mm. with Burrow, he had a different path. So in high school recruiting, there's a star rating system, and the top rating is five stars. And just because you're five stars doesn't mean you're going to be a great college player and going to make it to the pros. But at at that point, it's that these are the guys with the most potential and that can win right now. Like when you are recruiting a player, if you are, let's say you're Nick Saban at Alabama, you are you're recruiting someone who is going to help you win right now. Mm. It isn't someone who you think, oh, they'll be a great pro, but they might not be great at the college level. You need someone who will help you win right now. Mm. Burrow was only a four-star, which obviously isn't bad, but it just shows that in high school, he wasn't as coveted as Stafford had been nine years earlier. So Burrow played his high school football in Ohio, even though he wasn't originally from Ohio, and he's desperate to play for Ohio State. And luckily for him, the feeling was mutual. He signed for Ohio State. And that's where it kind of started to go wrong. So he redshirted in 2015. And he was a then he was a backup to JT Barrett. Now, Barrett incidentally went undrafted and recently signed for the Edmonton Elks mm. in Canada. If anyone's wondering what JT Barrett is doing, Elks. he's has to do that. So if you want to compare the careers of Ohio State quarterbacks. So... Burrow was hoping he would then get the reins, but it was clear. You see, that, that is nuts. That's nuts in itself. And, and to, you know, to your point, it's a great one that even from high school to college, there is no guarantee that the top recruits are going to project into the pros because of their playing attributes and playing styles. And as we've seen time and again, although this this is narrowing and changing as, as the years go on, but a, a terrific, particularly a terrific and successful quarterback in the NFL does not necessarily project to, to the pros, right? Like Tebow's the, the, the most operative example of the last couple of decades, I guess. But it is really fascinating to me when you just now, on the, you know, build up to the Super Bowl and Burrow's done everything that he's done already as a pro and is playing in his first Super Bowl. And JT, with respect to the Elks, is, is just gone there when it was yeah. just a few years ago. It was the other way around. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, is that in a way it gets worse because it was like he felt, OK, when JT Barrett uh, leaves the team, this will be my team. But instead, they made it clear, no, 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 we've got Dwayne Haskins. Mm. And Dwayne Haskins is our guy. Now, it's fair to say that Dwayne Haskins has had a pretty poor NFL career 
so far. Now, Joe Burrow, I I think sometimes people look at Joe Burrow and think he's a certain kind of a certain kind of person. Um, and I don't like, come on, spill it. I think people think that he's, he's cocky. Well, that he's he's cocky, but that he's not. He's also not the brightest. Mm. I think he's. I think people will kind of feel like he's kind of a sort of like a, a little bit of like a dumb kid having fun. He, you know, he made that comment about the the jewels in his in his chain the other day, where he's like, "I was too. I'm too rich for them to be fake or whatever." <laughs> Which to me is just like this is Joe Burrow, like having a bit of fun because this is like Joe Burrow when he got drafted. He used his platform to speak about food poverty in Ohio. Right. No one did things like that. Mm. Like you've got this, you, you know, you're taken first overall and you choose to talk about food poverty. Yeah. That, that's more about, that's more like Joe Burrow than all this stuff about like, oh, he's, you know, he's this show off. He's this really kind of whatever kind of guy. So that's just misrepresenting him and, I, and not, just not getting his shit. Yes. Tongue in cheek. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And to show how smart he was, he left Ohio State, and it's not that that was the smart decision, but that he had graduated early. He had finished his degree early, which meant he could be a graduate transfer. Now, in, here in 2022, players can transfer between colleges really easily, and that is a super new phenomenon. The only reason Burrow could do it was because he already had earned his degree. You, it just So you are allowed to go and play another, another you know, play somewhere else. So even though he's from the Midwest, you know, that's where he's always lived. He's there at LSU. He's there in the, in the deep South. So culturally completely different. First year in 2018, he was decent. Like he's the sort of person where people felt like he'll probably get drafted. He's like a fourth round guy. Maybe he can develop. Maybe he could start one day. Mm. And then 2019 happened and nobody, nobody thought, thought Joe Burrow could do this. Nobody thought this LSU team could do this. But in 2019, they went 15-0. They won a national championship with perhaps the most exciting and dynamic offense in college football history. Burrow, obviously, at the heart of it. He passed for more than 5,600 yards in just 15 games, was responsible for 65 touchdowns. I think he threw 60, ran in five, and threw six interceptions in that time. Those numbers are absolutely unreal and the numbers themselves don't really do justice how well he played during that season like the the throws that he would make just how spectacular it was and the thing is they would be blowing teams out and then he wouldn't finish the game because it's like well let's not keep our quarterback in and like have him get hit in the face when we're 40 points up so he could have thrown for easily more than 60 touchdowns if they decided to keep him on. So he went from being a good quarterback to the undisputed best player in college football. Um, he won the Heisman Trophy. It was no shock that he was picked first overall, even though no one could have predicted that 12 months before. Nobody would have even had him down as being in the first round. And that's but, the gamble, isn't it? Because when you have these extraordinary seasons, even if uh, uh, it's a really good point that you're alluding to, I think even when we're talking about you know players like Flacco, that if you're doing it at the stage that uh, uh, the level that he did on the stage that he did, that of course tempers any concern. You could be having a record-breaking lights out season at, at a lower level and lower intensity specifically. Yes. And, yes. and that obviously enhances the risk, but there's no doubt that people are thinking, well, oh, yeah, 
I'm not sure. He's done it for one year. Sure. What if this is a, what if this is a, a freak season? I mean, I was watching some of the, uh, I know this is not exactly the same, but it's it, to illustrate my point. You know, obviously NFL network replaying every Super Bowl Brady's ever been added for night since the, <laughs> yeah. the last seven days and, and watching the, the Patriots, uh, Panthers Super Bowl, right? Where one of the great Super Bowls, of course, and and Jake Delhomme had a big game and a you know yeah. clutch plays. And you thinking Jake Delhomme, I remember him more for the playoff interception meltdown than, than yeah. anything else. But you know, my point is, you know, he blazed for a while uh, in the NFL and was it was a really really capable quarterback, but didn't didn't maintain it. A lot of quarterbacks, in whether it's in the college game or certainly in the pros, that's the the risk, isn't it? That you might have a couple of good years out of them. But if you're drafting one overall, you want to be building a franchise for the next decade plus. Yeah. Now, you know, I'm, I, I started off talking about the sim- the similarities with Cam Newton versus Peyton Manning simply mm. because of how long they'd been around, but also because Cam Newton had one amazing season. Now right. with Cam, he was at the university of Florida. He was meant to be the guy there and he had legal issues and he was arrested. He had to leave the team. He then went out to play at a community college. So if anyone's watched, you know, Last Chance You, you'll see that there were a lot of people who, uh, who were at major programs who, due to things like academic issues, um, issues with the police, have had to leave those big programs and try to rebuild themselves and show that they can do something. That's what Cam Newton did. So really, there was only ever one season of film on him against proper opposition Mm. with burrow although he had two it was all about that one season of showing just something amazing now nobody's going to say that cam newton was a flop at first overall but you know one super bowl appearance if you draft someone first overall you've got to hope that you get more than one conference championship out of them it generally doesn't work like that but you know they've they've got that with burrow so far and you know, it's what about early stages of their careers? So, as pros, or Burrow, we know because it's a clear memory, but Stafford, I mean, comeback player of the year, wasn't he? Which Burrow, I suspect, will be as well. I haven't actually checked the odds of this. Mm. Maybe we should get into that on Edge Rush. I mean, that one is done and dusted now, so I doubt you can back it. But comeback player of the year, is Burrow going to be? Surely he's, he's a lot. Uh, if, if, it feels like he's, it feels like he should be. And yeah, Matt Stafford got one himself. I mean, you know, Matt Stafford, I felt like I watched a lot of him in his first couple of seasons. Yeah. And I think unless you're a Lions fan, you probably didn't. I probably watched more of Matt Stafford than anyone except Georgia fans and Lions fans. <laughs> okay. and I, I was just, I was just in love with the way that he played. I thought he showed so much kind of grit, but had so much kind of so much flair as well. Just throws such a beautiful pass. And, you know, he was a really good kind of soldier there in Detroit. He didn't sort of cause problems because of like, you know, that team wasn't awful all the time. The Lions are one of these franchises that everyone kind of acts like, oh, they can never do anything. But, you know, he used to, he had, did play playoff games in Detroit. He just didn't win any of them. And it, again, it wasn't, it wasn't his fault. But his breakthrough year was his third year, wasn't it? So the first year when he won the starting gig and he, uh, he was two and eight as a starter, the Lions two and 14. Yeah. Second season, they went six and 10. Third season, he made the Pro Bowl was the comeback player of the year, ranked 41st on the NFL top 100 players, which are his uh, his contemporaries vote on, right? Yeah. So that was his breakthrough year, year three. Yeah, it, it, it took a bit of time for him, in part because he just, it wasn't a strong team. 
and you know of course Calvin Johnson but it was a it was a pretty thin team and with Joe Burrow that was kind of that was the worry for him that he was coming into a situation where he was going to start straight away but there wasn't there wasn't enough around him mm. and there was you know there there were, there were like going into that going into that draft there were there were knocks on him the same these to come up time and time again that okay he was great for that one season but he was only okay for the other season like what what are you going to get there were concerns about his arm strength um but it's i think he's shown that that season at LSU, although it was extreme, it wasn't a fluke. He is pl- the way that he plays for the Bengals is the way that he played for LSU, and he will air it out. And he has great relationships with his wide receivers. And of, of course, let's get into his, that. So the, yeah. the red thread, of course, is, is Jamar Chase, and that's the that's the point of distinction. If you look at yes, Stafford had Megatron after a while, but obviously not the same thing, and, and didn't they didn't have that connection in college? How important do you think that has been? Not just that Ch- Chase is justified his high draft status and has elevated himself i think much like burrow into forget rookie or sophomore status into the higher echelons of positional ranking already how much of it is down to to their respective familiarity and simpatico do you think you know i think a big big part of I think Joe Burrow would have had a good season anyway if Jamar Chase had been drafted by someone else he would have had a good season but you put them together and there's a special source there. And it reminds me of when we were, I was talking earlier about high school recruiting, the high school recruiting has changed so much now. And this is something that um, Jamar Chase and um, Joe Burrow will have experienced a little bit as well. In, in America, you get a lot of kind of seven on seven uh, tournaments that yeah. get played out of season. And these are put together. People make a lot of money putting these things on. Players will, their families will pay to get them in. Sometimes a potential sponsor will pay for because they want to get associated with them. And what tends to happen is the best players from all around the country will end up at the same tournaments and they'll get thrown together with people and they'll start kind of making relationships there. So it might be one person is like, oh, he's like, let's say he's some sort of star player and he's been recruited by Texas A&M. Let's say he's a quarterback. He'll have formed a relationship with some wide receivers during that tournament. And he'll be on social media, talk to them saying, come to Texas A&M, mm. come and play with me. We've already got this connection. We already, we already kind of link up really well. And you're finding in college recruiting now that it's almost like they're recruiting a group of players, even though they're from different parts of the country, they know each other mm-hmm. and they're talking to each other now, which you know, 20 years ago, they couldn't do, you know, they wouldn't be like, oh, okay, I'm going to call you long distance from like Texas to Louisiana. Mm. And we're going to do this. Now it's just, it's instant. So they're getting kind of these package deals and they're already kind of on the same page when they start. That's the thing with Burrow and Chase. Now, obviously their careers are linked right now. They, they again had different parts. So Chase was a Louisiana kid. And if you are good in Louisiana, they will not let you out of the state. It's like they almost kind of build a wall around. You are going to LSU if you are good enough. Started most of that 2018 season, Burrow's first year, but he didn't get many looks. He was he was still kind of like, although he did start games, he was kind of low down on the list of priorities. But then in that championship year, he caught fire as well. He scored 20 touchdowns in 14 games. And he was a 
big play threat the whole time. If he's on the field, you know that he's a threat. He won the Beletnikov Award as the best receiver in college football that year. And that's named after the Raiders great Fred Beletnikov, of mm. course. And previous winners, right, include Randy Moss, Larry Fitzgerald, Megatron. So he's in good company. You know, you you generally, if you win that, you've been doing something good. And I would remind me where you were when he was drafted by the Bengals ahead of Penne Sewell. That's the name that everybody yep. pulls out because for, for obvious reasons, Burrow got injured in his rookie season because he's got zip protection. And you could argue that protection hasn't improved dramatically year on year. So I think there were a vocal contingent, if not the majority, that were suggesting the Bengals had made a misstep. And I know it's easy with 2020 hindsight at the time. Where were you on that? At the time, I was 100% behind Penny Sewell. Mm. I felt that, that what the Bengals needed was something to keep Joe Burrow upright. And that if if he was just constantly getting hit, it didn't matter if you had, you could have had Randy Moss, Larry Fitzgerald and Megatron on the field. If he's if he's spending the entire time on the grass, yeah. he can't get the ball to anybody. Now, I've been proved completely wrong because he has been able to stay upright even without Penny Sewell. And he's got one of the best wide receivers in the game, not just one of the, not just like a rookie star, but one of the best wide receivers in the game already. You know, on that, just, Chase. just a quick tangent, tangential point, Benny, on, you know, particularly in the, in the championship game, but uh, we've seen it other times as well. He's not the most mobile in comparison, obviously, to some of his, some of his rivals, but there were moments in that game where he extended the play moved out of intense pressure and uh, and could motor a little bit as well with his legs. Did you see much of that in, in college? He didn't have to do it so much um, mm. because it was, it was rare that he was under a whole lot of pressure. He didn't have to keep doing it. Like there were, there were times where he did, but it wasn't like some players, you know, they are constantly going to have to keep moving, whether it's, whether it's through choice or through, through design. Mm. I think like, you know, with when we see Burrow move now, it's because he's going to have to move. It's not that, okay, let's keep him, let's <laughs> keep him moving. Yeah. But he's able to do just enough. And part of that is that he's been good at feeling the pressure, being able to see what's happening and get himself moving when he needs to, rather than it being simply kind of chased down, basically. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's something I think that we're seeing in, in lots of different ways or in a number of different ways with Burrow his decision-making prowess and his alertness and his ability to think quickly. I heard Dan Olosky talking about it, our friend, friend of the show, Dan Olosky, mm-hmm. talking about it on his podcast, Tapeheads, uh, one of his podcasts, I'm guessing, because Olosky's probably got about five, uh, which was him and Scott Pioli. And really interesting point, one of them made that the comparison with Brady in that respect, situational decision-making at an early age, in probably early ages, is abundantly clear with with Burrow. So that that's a great point you make. On to another key player in the Super Bowl, we expect, given he's had an all-pro season and one of the great years in living memory as far as a wide receiver is concerned because of the, the nature of player that he is, the brilliant Cooper Cup, who has emerged as one of the very best in the business, but wasn't necessarily projected to be that, was he? Not that you can't go on and, and reach the, the higher echelons of life in the pros from lower rounds. We see that time and time again, as, as is evidence with your Julian Edelman reference a bit earlier on, right? But Cooper Cup, 
his route to the NFL, Ben, and what you expected from him as a draft pick. Talk us through that. Okay, so bef- before I talk about Cooper Cup, mm. I want to put this out there, right? He won the Walter Payton Award and the Jerry Rice Award in college. Now, I'll explain the significance of those in a minute, but I just want those names to linger in your mind mm. while I give my thoughts okay. on, on Cooper Cup before the NFL. Right, there were 130 teams at the FBS level. FBS is football bowl subdivision. That's the top level of college football. Then below that is FCS, football championship subdivision. And the difference being, you'll know about all the bowl games. The teams at the top level, they play bowl games at the end of the season. Whereas in the FCS, they have a big um, kind of knockout championship thing. It's like a little bit like kind of March Madness in college basketball, but smaller scale. And it's just at that level. No FBS team wanted Cooper Cup. None. And in fact, while he was playing high school football, not even any FCS team wanted him. It was only after he finished his final season, he got two scholarship offers from FCS teams. And he ended up choosing Eastern Washington over Ohio, over Idaho State. Not Ohio State. That would have been impressive. (laughs) Idaho State. Now, Eastern Washington, just for some perspective, they are a big deal within FCS and they regularly play and beat FBS teams. So on his debut as a redshirt freshman, he scored two touchdowns, 119 receiving yards in a big upset because Eastern Washington beat Oregon State, who were ranked number 25 on the road. Cooper Cup was all over the highlights. That was the first time I saw Cooper Cup. And he looked really good from those highlights, right? But you're only going on the highlights. Mm. But that year, he just destroyed a bunch of single-season FCS freshman records. That's when he won the Jerry Rice Award as the best FCS freshman of the season. So yes, Jerry Rice, the best wide receiver error, he didn't get any FBS offers either. So, Mm. you know, we're talking about the likes of Edelman going in the seventh round. Jerry Rice... No FBS offers. So that was just the start of Cooper Cup because he ended up smashing most of the career receiving yards at FCS level. Mm. And then he won the Walter Payton Award as the most outstanding player at FCS because, yes, Walter Payton also played at the FCS level. So there are plenty of absolute legends, not just like Cooper Cup all pro, but absolute legends who have played at the FCS. It's so, fascinating. I love, I love that, Ben. But again, it goes back to a point earlier about yeah. yeah. This is, you can go from in the spate of two or three years from pers- in terms of perspective and evaluation, the, the golden boy to drifting out, dr- dropping dramatically. And equally, you can go from relative obscurity to become well on the way to one of the all-time great players. Yeah. At- I mean, you know, like just to, just to slightly segue into into Tom Brady, obviously there's all the talk about how late he was drafted. Right. But he is someone who was very heavily recruited out of high school. It wasn't like nobody was interested in him. And he's there at Michigan. It's at Michigan, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Michigan have won more college games than any team in history. Right. It's not like he was toiling away at Eastern Washington. You yeah. know, he was there <laughs> yeah. in front of 100,000 fans every week at one of the most prominent college teams in the country. Anyway, I digress. So... Although Cup was getting a lot of publicity at Eastern Washington from 2013 to 2016, like just the FCS teams obviously get a lot less 
coverage than the FBS teams. Now, right. nowadays with ESPN player, you can watch loads of FCS games. It's easy. But even just back in like 2013, that wasn't that wasn't easy. Like unless you lived there in Washington, you couldn't see him play on a regular basis. It would just not be possible. Mm. So obviously the the scouts at NFL teams are able to get that footage, even if they're not on like national TV. So they were seeing a lot of it, but the fact that he wasn't playing against the, you know, the big boys on a regular basis, obviously it hurts your chances. But when he did play against the FBS teams, he would look absolutely fantastic. He didn't look out of place. He didn't look like, oh, well, you know, playing against these, the better secondaries is a problem. No, none of it was a problem. And he didn't get drafted until the third round, which, you know, when you look at his season now, it's like, oh, clearly a first round talent. But at the time, really, third round isn't too bad if you're an FCS wide receiver, even if you were breaking a load of records, because people are just going to think you were playing against bums. Now, the first overall, the first wide receiver taken that year was Corey Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not, if you'd said to me, who was the first wide receiver taken in 2017? I would not have said Corey Davis. That was not who would have been at the top of my mind. But I looked at the third round yeah. and that was a pretty good year for wide receivers, actually. Kenny Golladay and Chris Godwin, third round picks that year. So that's where the value was had for wide receivers that year. So I, I went and looked back at... Um, some of the scouting reports of Cooper Cup mm. um, from when he was coming out. And some of the highlights were that he was slow. Um, he's, only got, <laughs> he's only got potential in the slot. Struggles with separation. Needs to be a better route runner. Now, <laughs> I, I, saw, I saw these and I thought, you know, it's easy to kind of be like, oh, well, you've improved wrong. What I liked was I found on some some website I've never, I've never got to before. I don't know how many pages of Google I had to go through before I got this result. And it was quite in-depth scouting reports. And this person had said that he felt people were kind of wrong on Cooper Cup. Mm. He said that people were looking at Cooper Cup like he was an okay athlete who had really good technique. And, he, and this guy said, I just keep watching his tape and I feel like he's a really good athlete who needs to be coached up on his technique mm. and could hit really hit the heights if his technique improves. And I think this genius on about the fourth page of the Google results has probably got it spot on. I think Cooper Cup is an absolutely fantastic athlete. And it was just, he needed the coaching to take him from a third round pick. This, you know, the coaching he didn't get in high school that meant he didn't get the, the big offers. That now he's got all that he's able to put it together because like, you know, you can't, you can't coach speed. Um, He's, he's always been athletic and now all those fundamentals have come right. And he's now had one of the great seasons that a wide receiver ever had. And that's someone who, no major college wanted to go near. And even the small ones were reluctant. We got to give a shout out in which case, because it's a really, really compelling argument we put together there for uh for cooper cup and and how a lot of people got him wrong people saw the potential and how that needed to be developed eric yarba the receivers head coach at yeah the rams unsung hero eric yarba must be a significant part of this i want to drill down into that story a little bit more uh i know kevin o'connell and obviously mcveigh will get 
the the bulk of the credit but sometimes it is often i'm i'm suggesting it's down to that detail and time and effort and nuance that there is the positional coach is giving a player like this yeah and they're they're in the room with those guys so often right kind of that that sort of contact time that you spend with your position coach i think is massively underrated where we want to just kind of we want to look at the the big name people but often it's those position coaches they spend so much time with them mm-hmm. and just they will they are spotting those tiny little things that make a massive difference like you know okay when you're on the line of scrimmage instead of holding your arm this way hold it this way and it'll it'll help you kind of it'll help you make this help you make this cut help you keep keep the cornerback off you just little things that will be spotted it reminds me of um kind of sprint coaches that just kind of they'll see they'll see someone they're coaching in the blocks and just make very small adjustments to their position mm. and that can cut you know two hundredths of a second off their time right which is actually the difference between you know winning and losing mm. just those minor things from the people who see you the most and also with cup the and he's by no means unique i think as a a Rams receiver to do this. I think it's very much their, their MO, but for all the big play key production that he offers offensively, it gets stuck in. Like there yes. was, there's a really good piece on the ringer. Uh, sorry, my bad. The athletic this week about, about cup. Uh, well, this might have run about a week ago. Anyway, I think it was in the build up to build up to the, the championship game. I think, um, uh, Jordan Rodriguez is the journalist and it's all about Cup's season, right? And there's a piece in it where she's talking to, or at least taking quotes from McVeigh and, and others about a block that Cup did on Robert Quinn, which set up a huge plan. Mm. <laughs> That's not an easy thing to do. As we know, the form Quinn has been in the season, just getting involved in the dirty work and not even blinking about that as well. Yeah, I think when you're the sort of person who's had to kind of grind in the way that he did to kind of mm. get to just to get to the pros and put himself in a position where draft scouts would notice him, you don't think twice about throwing those blocks. Right. You know, you you are going to do those things. He was he is someone who probably when he was drafted thought, I'm gonna have to really take my lumps in special teams before I can really make an impact, which yeah. Jamar Chase you know Probably because <laughs> because of his because of his elevated position and you know it's it's not like oh look at jamar chase he did special special do this. you know <laughs> jamar chase he never had to do special teams in his life absolutely not yeah but even in high school they'd be like no 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 jamar you're, you're fine you're fine you, you sit down yeah. you take a load off yeah <laughs> and cooper cup cooper cup didn't have that have that luxury and yeah. now he's right at the top listen i want to wrap on uh a player that is obviously connected indelibly with this game uh, that went one number one overall where it didn't play out as hoped although maybe that is well it's a it's a it's a statement of fact but it's also i think reflective of the fine margins that we're dealing with jared goff came within a whisker of, of winning a super bowl right i don't think that's overstating it no. and if he had he'd probably still be there and we would be having an altogether different conversation, but he didn't. They moved on. Matthew Stafford was one of the high-profile acquisitions the All-In Rams wheeled in. Do you feel that, first things first, Stafford has been a major upgrade on Goff, an upgrade on Goff, 
actually not a huge discernible difference. Where do you stand on that? I think I think an upgrade, but it hasn't been it hasn't been like kind of night and day. Like there were things, there were throws that Goff just couldn't make right. that Stafford does. But Stafford's also had games where he has not played particularly well. Um, there's been a lot of unfair criticism of Matt Stafford and his play on the Rams this season. But I think it's because, A, the Rams haven't always been as good as we expect them to. And B, they've had... like. Considering we've been talking about how amazing Cooper Cup's been, part of the reason he's been so amazing or part of the reason that it's so impressive is because of the injuries that the Rams have had yeah. at wide out, which does not make things easy for Matt Stafford. Yeah. Matt Stafford is, I think, considerably better than Jared Goff. And I think the fact that the way that Jared Goff has been in Detroit this season, that might be more instructive than looking at than looking at how the Rams have been in terms of Stafford versus Goff and how the Lions have been. Now, Goff, the the things he was doing in Detroit were far, far below the things that Stafford was doing. Stafford would keep the Lions in games they had no right to be in. And Goff just has not been able to do that. And I, to me, I'm not that surprised by it. Like Goff, when he went first overall, I could see why it was happening, but I felt it was a reach. I think it was a team just desperate for a starting quarterback. Um, the idea that, okay, like when the Rams were getting him, you know, he was a, he was a California kid uh, as in he's from California and he played for California. It felt like it could be a good fit. I just found him just underwhelming. Mm. I just felt like he was a really okay quarterback that he would not, he would not set the world alight and he wasn't quite a game manager because I felt like he certainly had the potential to throw a game away. Mm. Um, I just felt he was okay. And I, uh, in college, I think he was better than okay, but there was, there was nothing there that I thought he can be a star in the NFL. And I think I was proved right, even though he did go to a Super Bowl. I don't think it was jared goff taking them to the super bowl he was there he didn't that season he was more of a game manager he didn't throw it away for them now when it comes to how they you know we're talking about three three players who all went three quarterbacks who all went first overall yeah i think that burrow and stafford people felt like yep absolutely hands down though they're the guy and with jared goff there was there were a lot more naysayers and I think for good reason, I think we've, we've seen that. I, you know, I, I think we'd all be surprised now if Jared Goff played in another Super Bowl. Yeah. I, I, well, I would love that. I would love to see Jared Goff in a 38 year old Jared Goff taking the, yeah. where was, where's it going to be? The Carolina Panthers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, he feels like he should be a Carolina Panther. I don't know why you are. That's a very good point. Maybe it's just like, he's a bit Jake DeLome or something. I yeah, don't know. Maybe he feels like he should be a, should be a Panther one day. Let's wrap with a quick prediction, Benny. I know this is a little bit unfair because we're recording this uh, a few days out. I think it's fair to say. Do you have a, do you have a, because you don't have to answer this if you haven't landed on either side yet. Do you know what? I, um, I've really, I've really struggled with this much like with the championship games. Mm. And I did have someone point out to me, oh, you got both of those wrong. Um, <laughs> Was that all? Even, 
yeah, even with the benefit of hindsight, you know, I, I still would go with the Chiefs over the Bengals because they're better. Um, but the Bengals deservedly won. I felt the Rams were a better team than the 49ers, but the 49ers could always get one over on the Rams. And I was wrong. I think, I think this is the Bengals. I think this is the Bengals. I think they are just so explosive. And what they did against the Chiefs was remarkable that I have to say, because of their, I feel that their victories have been more impressive than the Rams' victories. I'm going to go Bengals. I'm really excited about this one because I, I just have no, no clear indication as to how it's going to go. And I think these are both a couple of likable teams. They're, f- I think it's very easy to feel happy for Joe Burrow, and feel happy for Matt Stafford, whichever one of them gets to win a Super Bowl. Love that sentiment, Benny. Brilliant stuff. Tweets for Ben is where you follow the big man. And of course, he will be front and center, present and correct on the NC show throughout the offseason. Believe me, college days is going to be top billing, Benny. Because we're Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight down to business with that. Uh, incidentally, uh, if you haven't already, go check out collegefootballisland.com because the big game is coming 27th of August. 2022, Nebraska, Northwestern, and maybe more importantly than either of those two teams in their fan bases, Ben Isaac's in the house as well, because we're going to be over there for the game. So go on, head on over to the website. We'll push it out on social channels as well. Collegefootballadder.com, general sale from March. So register your interest now and you will be in like Flynn. And the thing is, is that once the Super Bowl is done, that game is the next big game. You know, that's before the NFL season starts. Mm. So we've got the Super Bowl and then we've got the game in Dublin. So if you can't be at the Super Bowl, you've got to be at the one in Dublin. That is what I call a hot tech and a hot side (laughs) sell from Betty Boy. Great stuff. Look after yourself. Enjoy the game, big man. Thank you for everything you have contributed this season. I know you are a fan fave and all pro member of the crew. And we'll look forward to getting back in with you on the other side as we roll out college days to draw towards the draft we're going to be pushing out episodes thick and fast so uh you will not miss a trick look after yourself bud yep see you soon sports social podcast network